Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Limits. Okay, back with uh, transport. John McPherson, of course, our regular coroner. One transport issue, though, I thought we'd kick off with is Uber. Uh, having got in, it's a bit like uh, when the banks uh, put in those uh, those telling machines, those automatic telling machines. Mm. They said this, was, this would save people from having to pay a fee. So, you know, use this and it's wonderful. So you don't, the staff don't get involved, of course. You don't have to pay staff. And once you've got in and people use it, the input fee on it anyway and uh, on everything you do, including, mm. you know, the walking past the door fee and other fees at, at banks. Um, well, Uber, of course, have now got in with the cheaper fares, etc. but now they're lifting them. Well, they provide a quality service, Kevin. That's right, that's right, that's right. They said that. And indeed, one of the things they said, um, this is I a mean, bit, I mean, bit I'm, I'm being, I'm being well, of course, John, satirical. But, but uh, you know, up it goes, their fee, and even the drivers have to pay them more without getting much more themselves. But the bit I liked was they're putting up the fees because they say, we heard that an important improvement Uber could make to the driving experience would be increasing the minimum fare. Oh, so, if, so if you're riding along in Uber, you think, I could enjoy this more if I had to pay more. That's presumably what they're saying. That's right. <laughs> so the more you pay, the more you must enjoy it. That was the whole point of their attraction. You, know, you don't have to pay so much as normal. Well, yeah. well they're becoming slightly yeah. less attractive by the yeah. day, I suspect. I'm going to pour some tea here. But you know what? I've never, I've never used an Uber. Have you used an Uber? I've, I've used an Uber with friends who, who think Uber is a, is a wonderful thing, but I... I could never. I've never been very convinced. It still seemed to just get me from A to B. Have yeah. you used an Uber before? Kevin? Only once at a Christmas party, a break up of our bedding sit, break up of our bedding sitting, and in fact, late at night, many drinks later, they poured several of us into a Uber taxi ah. and sent us all home. And I had nothing to do with it other than getting going home on the thing. Ah, okay, <laughs> so you didn't have to go through the process of booking it. Oh, none of that stuff. No, no. No. Well, my experience is pretty good. Only once, but it cost me six bucks, opposed to twelve bucks would have cost from. A non-Uber. So and you booked it pleased. yourself? I didn't, actually. A friend booked it because it was pretty late at night. And he yeah. actually had a special deal. Well, not a special deal, but he had a way of getting them to come very quickly for some reason. Yeah, but, that's yeah. the key. I don't know how to do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I've never done an, an Uber, so to speak. Yeah. It's like it's just, it's just I'm old school, just wait down it, a taxi. You, well, you, know? got to, you, you got can't ride down a Uber because you can't tell which car's in Exactly. You can't. Well, you've got to yeah. book online. That leaves me out anyway, so there you are. Yeah. Um, you've got to have the app. Uh, like yeah, well, everything else in life, you've got to have the app. That's me out to them. Uh, the <laughs> me too, whatever, pretty the much. App, the app. Yeah. Um, you'll be pleased to know, though, that this is really good news. Um, uh, the government has already sold $22 million worth of the East-West Link houses. So these are houses that ought to be public housing that, oh, that yes. squatters were thrown out of. We were told the Salvation Army needed them for the needy so, oh, the, yeah, we so were the homeless too. couldn't be in them. Anyway, they're on the market and they're selling them at a great rate. And uh, But there's been some... Um, some resistance because some people are saying they're they're loath to buy because they, at some at some future date a government might want to do it and then reacquire them. So they're having that, that's causing a bit of a problem. Uh, but Mike, <laughs> Michael O'Brien, the opposition spokesperson, really showed his concern for people with disabilities because he said Blind Freddie can see what the East West Link will be built and those properties will be acquired again. Now. I know that people who are blind absolutely re- resent that dreadful comment, well, Blind Freddy. Mm. Well, um, 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 can just just a brief comment. We all know what the cost-benefit analysis was on the East-West Link. It was 45 cents return for every dollar spent. Yes. Right? Yes. But everybody in the right wing of politics thinks it's absolutely essential to build it, irrespective of the fact that it doesn't meet these economic criteria. And yet they pour scorn... <laughs> On the government's Western distributor project, because it doesn't, because because it doesn't reach reach a high 
benefit yes. cost analysis either. But it does a hell of a lot better than the and there's East another West one, Link. There's another one this week that they've attacked because it doesn't. It, it actually it's, it's certainly got a higher higher ratio than East West Link. Yeah, yeah. But they could attack that as well. I've, I've come to it. Might yeah, be it's very it, it, yeah. it's very odd. Nobody nobody seems to be able to <laughs> keep arguing in the same. Um, no, in the same no, box of criteria. No. Now, this is an interesting little story. Um, <clears throat> the State Planning Department, uh, when it assessed the proposal, the latest proposal by Crown for this massive development um, over there in the casino area, Queensbridge Street, um, it said um, it said the um, claims in the so-called 100 million public benefits package um, didn't stand up. Um, a 10 million retail arcade, a 25 million sky high viewing platform, Crown highlighted in its plans were not public benefits, but instead mostly for the benefit of Crown itself. The state's planners advised um, documents, um, the state planners mm. advised in documents obtained under Freedom of Information. The department does not consider the through block arcade or the tower of hop facilities at levels 88 and 89 to be a public benefit. The arcade is not a public thoroughfare and the tower top facilities apparently involve expenditure to gain access. So you've got to pay like to go up and see the mm. view or something. So they overruled it. But Richard Lynn, Richard Wynn, the planning minister, overruled that and approved the uh, $1.75 billion proposed hotel after deeming it to be of state significance and exempting it from normal planning rules. Now, I I'm, 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 can't quite work out how a James Packer one, which has a thing at the top you pay to go and see and all this other stuff, is of state significance. But anyway, the 90-storey project includes a six-star, 388-room hotel and 708 residential apartments on Queensbridge Street. The scale is more than three times greater than planning rules allow for that site. Uh, and uh, but then Wynne goes on to say um, there is a, this is a great example of the ministerial's minister's ability to intervene in planning matters where an outcome is thought to be in the best interests of Victoria. The planning department provided advice on the proposal but only considers the planning implications. That's the department's jobs. But the minister is duty bound to take a bigger picture approach. Like helping James Packer by the side. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, well, I have a sip of tea. I want to comment on whether that they think that is of state significance. That uh... uh. <laughs> I'm, I'm speechless. No, I'm, I'm speechless. Well, I think that I think. That's... Well, how much higher will the viewing platform be than the present viewing platform oh, on the other building? Absolutely stuffed to my own. Absolutely. <laughs> Hasn't the Eureka Tower already got a public viewing platform at some incredible yeah, height yeah. somewhere? Up so, there, yeah. I think you've got. A so platform. I suppose if we're having competition between viewing platforms. I... <laughs> This is yeah. a good thing because that'll keep the costs down, you see. That's Competition right. always right. does that. There'll come a time when they build a viewing platform so that you can view the other viewing platforms. Well, well indeed. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, that's, that's the trouble. You know, people, because on this program last week or somewhere we said recently that uh, you buy this apartment with a view but until they build the one next to it, that's you, right. which takes your view away. Yes. Um, a room with a view. Yeah. Last week, um, you'll be pleased <clears> to know that David Murray, the former head of the Commonwealth Bank, who, recently, who also did that... Um, that financial report for the for the government. Um, if mm-hmm. they if they ever appointed a union person to do a report on unions, they'd be regarded as totally mm-hmm. biased. When they have to get a sensible judge who can tell yeah, the unions yeah, how bad they yeah. are. But anyway, um, he slams this new bank levy as hate tax, and I thought <laughs> I thought that was pretty appropriate because David and all that lot they absolutely so hate tax that uh, any tax that is hate, isn't it? Really? Well, he um, he he um, used to run the the future future fund, didn't he? He's, I think he was. He's for a, a while. pretty. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's a gen- generally all round miserable, yeah. miserable old coot. That one. Yeah, that's David. Well, he's, <laughs> yeah. that's a hate tax anyway. He doesn't believe in. Oh, by the way, c- climate change. He doesn't believe in either. By the way. No. Well, then these ex these ex bank heads. Though he was Commonwealth. Now Bob Joss, the American bloke who's um, Westpac banking ex ex bank banking here years ago. Bob says it's a penalty tax. Right. Yeah, penalty, penalty for doing yeah. so well. That's right. That's right. And, and he said... Um, penalty for really knowing how to screw our well, customers. Well, he knows. He's now a professor and dean emeritus at Stanford University Graduate School of Business. He said it's certainly questionable public policy, which is arguably doesn't meet the standard tests of efficiency and equity for sound tax policy. But their idea of equity um, and taxes, they don't pay any. Most, most countries in the Western world put some sort of levy on their banks. Yes. Well, anyway, the other, part, the other side of that We've is... Been that one, we've been one of the few that don't. <laughs> well, now also a bloke called Rodney Maddock came out this week. He's professor of uh, business school at Monash. 
and he, and he, um, he came out and he's talking about the smaller banks, Suncorp, Bank mm. of Queensland, those lots, and he says in order to maintain competition, they can't go down, so they're now too small to fail. So we've got all the other banks are too big to fail. These ones are too small to fail. So either way, they get the public purse coming and going by the sound of it. I mean, the public purse is now responsible mm-hmm. for all those banks if anything goes wrong. Well, well, we all knew really that that was how it was all, anyway, all along. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> and, and one of the reasons why putting a levy on the big banks is justified is that they do get all sorts of benefits are there being any, looked after by the government. Yeah, are there any yeah. banks in the in the mid- middle, so to speak, that are neither too big nor too small? You know, yeah, I think you've got to justify it. You've got to go one way, one or, the way or the other. Yeah, very oh. not, not too smart you, to be in the middle. You want an Alice in Wonderland bank. I think they're, called, <laughs> they're cookie called credit unions, but they've often renamed themselves as banks. They have, ah, yes, yes. And yes, if anybody's yes. got any sense, they've got their, their ill-gotten gains with a credit union bank, not a big bank. Yes, well, anyway, that's... Uh, that's that one, and um, the um, at the same time as they're saying, well, there's penalties <clears> there. Of course, we know that p- the other side of penalty, which is bad, also is penalty rates, and mm. they're being cut as of next week or as of the start of July, and they're going to be phased in. But the phasing in um, has um, well, Michaelia Cash, the, the employment minister, and of course former Freehills partner, the biggest anti-worker law company in the country. Um, she said it would even the playing field for Australia's small businesses to open their doors, serve customers and create jobs on Sundays. So, you know, a little bit workers losing a few dollars or, you know, for, for them, though, a lot of dollars in penalty rates apparently will will fund other workers being employed. It's terrific, isn't it? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. The, like to see that. But Paul Russell <laughs> Zimmerman from the Retailers Association said these sluggish arrangements will unnecessarily delay the creation of new retail jobs because the phasing in, they want, you know, you don't want to phase it in. That slows the whole process down and you can't do the good things that it's going to do for the country and make everyone better off. Um, now, this is an interesting little story. Um, the a bloke called um, a bloke called uh, where's his name somewhere here anyway Mill- Millens is his name and uh, Angelo Millens and he was um, a, a pie flying businessman in, in Sydney in one of those I don't know what he was about but he got involved in a in a corruption thing or a, a, um, a campaign or his. He's been found guilty of conspiring to defraud the National Union of Workers. Now, we know that what's coming out, and that hasn't gone to trial yet, but it's been alleged mm. that Derek Bellin, the, um, he's an ex-leader of that union, and he's now resigned, and he's in disgrace, and, and another woman in the union, they all work together. Mm. But this bloke was part of it. This wasn't uh, the Cathy Jackson thing. No, no, it? this is separate. This is the, she's health oh, This health is the National Union of Workers. But, yep. um, mm. you know, and any, any union official doing that is dreadful. But the part of the side of this because his trial's coming up and I suspect he'll be in, in, in justifiably in real trouble if, if, if as the allegations are, are correct. But um, he um, has warned contractors and union officials, this is the magistrate, to, respect, to expect serious punishment if they rip off union members' money as he sentenced this bloke, he's an, he's an IT CEO, to nine months imprisonment. But this bloke being the business person mm-hmm. involved, not the union person involved, he then um, the, he then turned it into an intensive corrections order. He'd served the sentence as an intensive corrections order and due to his extremely useful assistance to police in their pursuit of the union leader. Uh, the intensive order will mean will avoid him spending time behind bars. Uh, so it's just interesting that uh, right. I'm sure if he'd been another union person, yep. he would have uh, ended yep. up yep. Yep. very much in the slot. Yep. Um, bit of sympathy there. One. A little bit there. And, of course, he'll probably give evidence against the other bloke mm. when it comes to the mm. crunch. Um, now, the CFMEU, uh, it's been ordered to pay 86000 in penalties after a federal court judge found its delegate tried to force two workers to join the union by preventing them from going to work. Uh, it happened on a site where there were two blokes with a with an independent contractor, and the union official said, "Well, this is a union site; it's an EBA site. You have to join the union." They wouldn't, so the union wouldn't let them in. And the judge said, "This shows the deplorable history of breaking industrial laws that would send a message, etc." Um, and um, 
And you had Nigel Hodgkiss, the uh, the head of the um, the Jackboots Commission, said the decision was an important reminder about the principle of freedom of association in the workplace. Everyone has a right to join or not to join a union. And, of course, Hod- Nigel would very much promote the not joining side mm, of that. Mm. Um, but, of course, until they did change the law under Reith & Co., yeah. um, in fact, you could have sites where you had to be in the union, um, but now they've made it unlawful. But, I mean, it, it seems to me it's quite proper, particularly on a building site, that everyone ought to be in the union because it doesn't... Well, it's, there's, there's arguably all the health and safety exactly. side of it, yeah. Uh, plus what they win. But, of course, Nigel also... The other <laughs> side of that argument is if, you, do, if you, you choose your right not to join the union, then really you have no right to any wage increase right. or improvements gained by the mm, union. Mm. And if the union, has, as they've done in the past attempt to take some levy off you or charge you mm. um, a fee for what they've won for you, that is deemed to be illegal mm. as well. So the union can get charged for simply trying to get and a fee for winning is, something. Apparently this is rather unique to Australia. This, this Other countries acknowledge that if you don't want to join the union, you don't get the benefits of being a member of the union. Yeah, yeah. That they, they regard that, they, they see that trade-off as being reasonable. But here, here we've got the... Um, well, no doubt Peter Reith was, in, in, was, was involved in it somewhere along the line. Yeah, and, and, and you and you, you don't have to join the yeah. union, but you still get the no. benefits of their negotiation. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, it's deemed to be a, uh, it's deemed to be one of the one of the mm. biblical commandments of uh, of industrial relations here now that you know mm. you're right not to join the union. Yeah, but you have the right to get uh, all the, all the benefits you'd get. Well, of course, that's mm. right. Mm. If, you, if anyone says you can't have them, then that's just that's, that's, that's union thuggery gone right again. That's right. Yeah. Um, now, this is an interesting one in industrial relations. A, a Chinese <coughs> um, a Chinese labour watch person has been arrested. Because um, he was conducting an investigation into a Chinese company making shoes, um, and um, now why he got arrested, one one can't know. But um, one, uh, but he's um, he was illegally using eavesdropping equipment. That's what he's been charged with, as he's trying to work out whether this shoe making place is exploiting workers to the hilt. Now one assumes they're only investigating because they do believe it is exploiting workers to mm. the hilt. Uh, but the interesting thing is that this is this company makes the shoes for Ivanka Trump's shops around the oh, world, okay. um, and um, <clears throat> and and other some of the other high flying um, com- you know shoe yeah, shoe brands, um, yeah. retailers as mm, well. Mm. But anyway, he's been arrested and. Um, and they're, they're they're appealing. Some people are, over there are appealing to um, to President Trump to uh, come to come to his rescue. But I'm not sure he will because they might they might reveal what actually is going on. He sounds a real heel. Sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good one. Then. I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you mean Donald Trump? I hope. <laughs> well, I'm going to um, I'm going to stand on the sidelines about that. <laughs> right. These heels are made for walking. <laughs> yeah, and also, of course, we know that Peter Dutton has recently been complaining. He said it uh, about the fact. That when the, does he ever stop? Well, the, but the Administrative Appeals Tribunal has, in fact, rejected some of his orders to order people out of the country for alleged, um, or people probably have broken the law, but you know, sometimes it's minor things and you throw them out. And he says it becomes a very frustrating process for me, for all of us, but most of all for the victims of these crimes and for the future victims of these crimes, that these people aren't deported and thrown out of the country. People broken the law out to stay in Australia. It's terrible, he said. But he's, he's solving the problem because a large number, a position of up to 100 Administrative Appeals Tribunal members are due to expire on June 30, and he's going to appoint his own people, so... Um, that's the best way to solve these legal problems. You will put the people on the bench whom you want to. Oh, okay. He's going to stack the, stack <laughs> <Yeah>. the bench. <laughs> That's right. So I think they'll be heading out of the country very shortly. <laughs> thanks to uh, thanks to Peter sorting that one out. It's interesting how he seems to have delusions that he might be he could be a prime minister. Dear old, dear old Peter. Well, he said that about Tony Abbott, and he became one. So yes. you know, you just can't can't rule anything out nowadays. No. We're in interesting times. And George Brandis, by the way, agreed with him. You're pleased to hear, so he George. Oh, said good. Yeah, oh, well, I can no, sleep George. tonight now. Yeah. Well, they're just due for renewal, so you have to renew yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. That's right. um, now, last week I mentioned the fact that a bloke from Black, a place called a company called Black Rock, which is a big investment company, Very big. said mm. coal is dead, 
and um, the company were, called BlackRock said, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right, he did, he did." And the, well, it's that's right, BlackRock coal is dead. Then it's denying gravity to suggest that we should go in other directions, etc. I mentioned all that last week. Now, um, um, now there's an interesting story because we noted that when Trump was um, building up to knock back the Paris Agreement. Uh, one of the voices that was saying don't do it was Tillerson, the ex-head of ExxonMobil. And I thought that's very strange for a man who spent his whole life polluting the world to suddenly think he, well, he should not pollute the world. wonder mm. what the mm. reason behind that is. Well, the next day it became, to me, apparent because it turns out that this Black Rock mob are uh, one of the biggest shareholders in ExxonMobil. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a couple of other groups that that also think coal has to be, and we have to look at pollution very cleverly. But they're 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 creating a problem with with on the board, or they're creating mm. a problem heading up to the annual general meeting, because they want it. They want Mobile to keep much uh, Exxon Mobil to keep much better records of the cost of their pollution and what what. Um, pollution is costing the company, oh, yes, uh, yes. and the future the future dangers it's going to cost in mm, terms of mm. being sued or whatever. Mm. And so it now seems to me that what Tillerson was doing was still keeping his Exxon Mobil hat on his head, and attempting to appease these sort of people by showing he really cares about the environment. Mm, I suspect mm, because mm. they're uh, carrying on. Well, a, nearly a treat. everybody that he'd meet um, in his role as um, you know foreign foreign secretary for. Secretary of State, Secretary of State, yeah. Yeah, would would be telling him around the world, you know, Trump is a fool for um, pulling out of um, the Paris Agreement. Yeah. So Tillerson's got his his constituency overseas too, and his uh, in his job that he's got to yeah, sort of represent right, back right. to the back to the. Um, Back to the White House. <laughs> and he he what a thankless task. I see he got the finger in mm. New Zealand as well. Really? Mm. When he got the when he got oh. lecture. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Poor yeah. man. It's awful. Mm. Yeah. Rex, poor yeah. Rex. Uh, but there have been some positive things this week. Telstra. <laughs> no, this is true. Telstra. When you uh, say it like that. No, I know. Well, it's just a bit of a surprise. But <laughs> Telstra... Um, has lifted its bow on its highly anticipated new energy strategy, revealing it will underpin the construction of a $100 million solar farm in northern Queensland as part of a wider play to protect itself from soaring power prices. And it's uh, under a deal with some group. It will buy all the power generated by a 70-megawatt solar project to be built near Emerald over multiple years. And it, they said because they've, they've got – because they use – I think they use 1% of the national power or something. Mm. And they mm. – they, um, you know, their bill's enormous and so they're getting it down. But that's interesting that they're going into solar. Well, it's uh, not only Telstra. There are very, very many yes, large yes. large companies that are deciding to go solar for their electricity supply as fast and as hard as they can. And indeed – also and of course, lots of them have very big roofs that they cover with, <laughs> exactly. with lots and lots of panels. Well, and another report this week, the report from the Renewable Energy um, Mob, uh, the Clean Energy Council, mm. said our, we're heading for a record year in solar and wind farm creation. Right. And it goes on at all sorts of figures, but, I mean, it's just mm. things are going that well, way. Well, last, last year was almost disastrous, and, then, and yet there's been just a very cha- slight change in government policy, and that's led to this huge... Take off again in in both wind and solar panels, yeah. Yeah, and now you've had this one with the the plan for an eight billion dollar, two fifty um, offshore wind turbine mm. off the Gippsland coast. Now that's mm. got a fair way to go in terms of planning, and I'm not. I think we will also need to look at its impact <coughs> on the environment in this in the sea. I suspect. Yeah, but I, um, yeah. but you know that's that that could be looked at. But at least it's a it's a plan, and it and if it goes ahead and it and it doesn't create other pollution problems on the mm. other side. It's it's creating generating enough power to to generate to for one point two million homes. Mm-hmm. So that's an enormous. Uh, well, well, it was eighteen. It, I think yeah. they said it was eighteen percent of Victoria's <coughs> residential power needs. So that's you know nearly one, nearly twenty percent yeah, uh, from one. Yeah. That's 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 extraordinary. That's getting serious. That's really getting serious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's good. Good to that's see. Terrific. Hopefully, yeah. it's not too little, too late. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, mm. um, uh, offshore is big in Europe. Mm. As long as long as the water isn't too deep, um, it, it seems to be quite successful. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Yeah. good. Yeah. Off the British coast too. Trump was complaining about a, a wind farm going off the coast where one of his Scottish um, golf courses mm, it might, <laughs> might upset the view when he's playing golf. You see, the locals were very funny. <laughs> they wanted the thing. 
<laughs> when Trump started explaining, <laughs> complaining, <laughs> the media went down to the local pub to ask the Scottish locals what they thought. <laughs> and, and they and, go, well, okay, Trump. And the most amazing splatter, you know. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> the, Scots, the Scots at their, uh, yes, they at their slightly inebriated best, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, I guess you can't repeat any of it on air. <laughs> but, no. Oh, well, good on them. But, well, now, yeah, let's get back to common sense on this program and not have these bright, you know, encouraging stories. What? Yeah, back to Donald. Oh, All <laughs> right. Yeah. Donald, apart from his decision last week, also the... Um, the, the the International Trade Commission in, in America is investigating imports of solar panels for possible harm done to domestic manufacturers. And it, their report will go to Trump for approval in the end. Mm. But it's, it's suggested what they're going to do is, is recommend that all sorts of imposts be put on those that are imported because, in fact... Lots more people are be able to use solar in America because it's getting cheaper and cheaper because of the import of these other um, other solar panels. So they're now moving to make them far more expensive, so the domestic market can hold up. But that will mean less people will buy them because they'll be much more expensive. But so it's a move actually to cut back on solar power. But the government doesn't approve of solar power anyhow. No, no, <laughs> it doesn't believe. Well, it, it, because it's addressing a hoax, a, a, Chinese, chi- a Chinese, Chinese hoax, hoax, and these solar yeah. panels are coming from China. Well, it's it's yeah. official. It's a Chinese. Yes, they've set up this hoax so they can sell these panels to America. It's bloody Excuse me, but but Texas is already probably the biggest wind wind power province in the world. (laughs) Already, Texas. You know, Texas where nobody believes in global warming. Exactly. It's got wind wind farms from, from... from border to border. <laughs> well, even the states he named as beneficiaries in the city Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which he named oh, as yeah, beneficiaries, yeah. they, they came out, the mayor and the governors have all That's come right. out and said, we're going to pursue our stuff anyway. Right. Get, yeah. get stuff, they virtually said. And the big big companies as well. Absolutely. This is mutiny yeah. in the biggest way. Well, you know, the, the Googles and the Amazons yeah. and, the, and the Apples, they proudly say yeah. that they're generating all their power. Um, re- renewably already. So it may turn out that Trump's decision to pull out of Paris might actually turn out to be a good thing, ironically, because it's it's mobilising. It's, it's, gal- it, it's galvanising. Gal- galvanising, that's the yeah. word. It's gal- perhaps. I mean, I'm being optimistic, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Well, that's, that's the theme of the morning. <laughs> yeah. We're being optimistic. Oh, no, 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 this programme, we've got to... We don't want no, that. No, 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 I really no. I, I'll, no, but, I'll get my coat. But down where <laughs> down where they really are optimistic, of course, in um, in burying your head in the coal mine fossil country at News Limited, our old mate Terry <laughs> McCrad. Let's finish with Terry because he's, oh, he's no. yes, he's wonderful. Not Terry. He says you'd have to have a heart of stone not to laugh at the utterly insane, hysterical. Doesn't begin to capture the sheer unbridled lunacy of the reaction to President Donald Trump's taking the U.S. out of. And he, of course, goes on to say how wonderful it is. But he says people are saying it's going to destroy things. On the other hand, it might open it up for Don not to be around and to upset things. And so things might get better. And it's, isn't that a big joke? And anyway, we don't need it because what the hell? you know? Because so, Terry knows that there's no problem. Going Terry's on. one of those people who a couple of years ago was, was saying that you don't actually get any power generated from wind turbines or solar panels. So what he says nothing, is that no, this is what he was saying then. I think he's had to change. I think he's had to accept that the actual electricity does come out of them. But there was this group that didn't even believe they actually generated anything oh, right. <laughs> as of a few years ago. Yeah, well, he's, he's he's big on the when the wind don't blow and the sun yeah, don't shine yeah, argument. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. And, but his main argument is that even if it is happening. Uh, our it co- shouldn't be. No, well, our co- well, it shouldn't be. But our contribution is so minimal in, That's internationally right. That's right. that we we make no we destroy the economy while making no difference to climate change, even if climate change exists. Ignoring the fact that we are still the number one yes. per capita polluter in the world. That's right, and the biggest exporter of. Coal, of coal to the rest yeah, of the world. Which is very significant. Which, so surely that means we should have some responsibility. Two people this week, two people in the last couple of days have said they're how much they're looking forward. They always look forward to the first Wednesday when you're on, isn't it? Oh. So it's two in all Melbourne, but it's not bad, is it? <laughs> 4.5 million people. Right. Yeah. Not, not well, all, not select. All, of them listeners, of course. all our, our listeners are select. <laughs> you, you want to raise some stuff about, oh, um, about yeah. pollution stuff or something, do you? Yeah, but I, I thought I might. I'll just very quickly make the comment 
that the rail system in particular seems to have had a shambolic few weeks lately. Just mm. seems to have been. I mean, days when you know the announcements are made, the lines are shut, running very late, terminated bus. You know, and the number of hours that people must have waited for replacement buses in the last few weeks is just mm. just appalling. So, so why do you think that is? Is that because you think the infrastructure is just not coping? Or yeah, not, yeah, yeah. I, I think in, I think in general it seems like. We're still we're still just in patch and make up mode, and which 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 we've been in for many you know for decades really, mm. and it doesn't seem to matter which new management you bring in, mm. the same issues still apply unless the money is spent. Mm. So it's just really a lack of funding, a lack of. Well, it would it would would appear to be. Mm. I mean, who knows how well the money money for maintenance is being spent. But it just does seem like they're just over basic things like, you know, overhead wires falling down, mm. transformers blowing up, um, yeah. um, sets of sets of points where the trains, you know, cross one set of tracks to another, um, mm. failing. Yeah. And, and of course, yeah. you know, these things often fail in the middle of peak hour when the system's heavily used. And so, you know, many thousands of people get held up. Yes. Level yeah. crossing gates don't work, and when the level crossing gates don't work, not only the cars get held up, but the trains get held up as well. Yeah. Mm. Now, I went to a, um, I went to an event last Saturday, John, which was got got number of people who had worked in the public transport mm-hmm. system together to look at putting together oh, okay. a, putting together a case to force to urge the government not to give the contracts to the private companies, yep, but yep. to renationalise it. <clears throat> yep. Um, Victor Moore, well, a number of people spoke there, but Victor Moore spoke, who's a member of the union and he still works in the system, mm-hmm. um, and he he outlined the wastage of money that goes to the private companies. Well, that money could be going to what mm. you're talking about. But I have tentatively teed him up to come on this day okay. next month, on the first Monday next month. That'd be great. Next Wednesday to talk about these mm. issues. He made a number of really important yeah, points about yeah. the whole process. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Well, so. well um... That's just a that's just a general comment, and my feeling is, what on earth are we doing going to going to build this um, this um, vanity project, the Melbourne Metro, when the rest of the system won't be in a fit condition to uh, to uh, plug into it to to uh, to serve up the trains to run through it? You know, it's it's <laughs> the the irony would be the trains will be coming off coming off um, very run down infrastructure onto this brilliant yeah. new piece of infrastructure, but of course. The two won't necessarily um, tag together very well, and we may not get very good usage out of the the Melbourne Metro mm. itself. Exactly. And could you? I know I keep asking you this, but sure. could you quickly, quickly summarise again for the listeners what your alternative <laughs> right. plan for okay. the Melbourne Metro is? All right. All right. Okay. Very the Mel- to, to me, the Melbourne Metro is a sort of vanity project. It only really serves a station in Domain and a station in North Melbourne at Arden. Otherwise, e- everything else could be served perfectly well. By the present rail and and boosted augmented mm. tram system, um, the the present loop system could be um, taken apart and turned into lines that run across the city rather than round the city. And by some sort of magic, when, once the lines are running across the city rather than round the city, you actually gain a, a, a nearly another hundred percent in train capacity because the trains don't go round the loop, which means crossing the city twice. They just come in from one side and go out the other. So a train from Frankston crosses the city and ends up somewhere on the Broadmeadows line, for example, rather than going round the loop and back the way it came. Yeah. So it doesn't serve all the stations if it just crosses the city, but it still serves you know, a number of stations, and you can still... Um, Transfer if you need to at North Melbourne or at um, Richmond to 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 trains that'll go through the the other stations under the city, and somehow magically when you do that you end up with nearly double the train capacity that you've got, only for the cost of the modifications to the system rather than building this huge new. Well, we're told now it's eleven billion, and no doubt it'll keep climbing. Yeah, uh, um, Melbourne Metro. Which Although one of one of the reasons why the cost has blown out, the latest cost blowout, is because they're now talking about doing massive amounts of work on signalling. If they mm. do that, that would be a major advance. Well, it would. It, that would certainly be good, and they will have to do that to serve the trains up to go through the um, the, the new new tunnel, and that will be that will be good. But of course, you've you 
you would like to see them do those sort of improvements all over the system anyway but anyway mm. and 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 arguably they should be you know they're the sort of things you do first not not last so mm. so my my concern is we still end up with a system that's just staggering along mm. and then it has this brilliant new piece of infrastructure in the middle uh, which mm. won't be used all that well because the the rest of the system is in poor condition yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah, no, thanks for that. Okay. <laughs> well, I've just got a bit here on the northeast line. The, the northeast line, the line up to um, Wangaratta and Albury and Benalla, has been um, very much in the news lately because the, the cert- trains have been running uh, very badly on that line. The line was supposedly um, massively upgraded uh, in the last well, nearly 10 years, or the last eight years. Uh, but the end result was a line that was still um, causing trains to have to slow down for all sorts of um, uh, what they call, um, well, just just points where the track did, the track was in, at the point of failing. So the trains were galloping along at 110 kilometres now, and then they had to slow down to say 50 kilometres now to go through a, a bad bit of track, which was left over from from the so-called upgrade. Uh, but but on top of that, the trains that they're running on that line seem to be very unreliable. And in a recent 20-day 20, 20 period, according to the North East Border Rail Action Group, 65 trains were cancelled in a 20-day oh. period. And how uh, often do they run? I mean, that's... Well, 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 there are five... Five trains a day, mm. each each way up to up through Albury. If you count the trains that go on to Sydney, the XBTs mm. as well. So that's five, a huge percentage of the trains. Yes, yes, it was something like a third of the trains mm. in in that period were, were cancelled and replaced by buses. Some of those were probably planned cancellations while I did more work on the track, but some of them would have been out of the blue, probably for. Um, Problems with the actual train trains sets themselves, the the locomotives or the carriages. So again, they seem to be really struggling to keep to keep the um, the, the service in any functional state. And and an increasing number of new suburbs, I believe, are being built along the V lines. So they're relying upon the V lines increasingly mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. ferry commuters oh, into yeah. Melbourne. Oh yeah, yep. Because people hear hear that you know the, the services are going in or being improved. And then they think, well, okay, then we can live out there and, and travel to work in the city on V-Line. And then they assume, of course, that, that they'll get a decent level of reliability. Mm. And often often they don't. And, yeah. And uh, yeah. certainly I'm aware of friends of mine who've started off using V-Line and then in the end, in, in, in despair, turned back to, the, turned back to using the car. Oh, that's, that's not good. Mm. That's terrible, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So that's almost that's almost being you know snared in by a hoax in a sense that that you can uh, use the train and discovering no you can't. Um, so it seems like a system's not at all in good shape at the moment. We certainly know all the issues of um, overcrowding on most of the V line lines. You know the short mm. distance commuter mm. commuter runs from um, you know Geelong, Ballarat, Bendigo, Latrobe Valley. They all, mm. they all seem to be struggling with um, with uh, overcrowding. Well, Geelong now calls, operates also as a suburban service for Tarnit and that's uh, right, Wyndham and Vale, that, yeah, which line, is a yeah. very very misguided. That was a very misguided um, arrangement. Mm. And that that overcrowding, of course, will only continue under the current paradigm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just noticed um, I had to get a train from Ballarat the other day, actually during the week. Um, they seem to be a particular trains that go around commuter time that take about two hours to get to Melbourne. That long? Yeah, the rest of them go at one and a half, but there mm. was actually one around five o'clock that got, took two hours to get in. Ah, I just wondered if that's I, a normal... <coughs> that would, that, the, the reason for that is, just, is it's, because the Ballarat line's single track, most of the trains, the trains going in the Ballarat direction are the ones that are given priority every time the trains have to pass. It's the train coming from Ballarat that gets to wait in the sidings for the trains going the other way. Because mm. the trains going the other way, there are more of them and they're full of people. Therefore, they get the, they get the priority. So yeah. that would, that would yeah. explain it, I think. It seemed when, to be, only yeah. seemed to be about five o'clock. About, yeah. It was one at about six. It was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Half, yeah. You know. Is, it, is okay. it the reverse in the morning when the peaks go yes. the other way? Yes, yeah. yes. Mm. Right. But, but to, to, to at least give them some... Some um, pat on the back. There are trains running in the reverse direction. You can now get 
mm. get to places like Ballarat mm. and Bendigo fairly early in the morning. Once upon a time, you couldn't get there from before about 10 o'clock by, by airline services. Mm. So mm. things have improved. And they do try now to run services at regular intervals. But yes, definitely on the Ballarat line because it's single track there, there are problems. Mm. There shouldn't be on the Geelong and the Bendigo lines, but mm. so much. Mm. Are there any plans to, to make it a double yep, track line? Yep, there there's, a, there's um, promises of spending, I think it might be up to $500 million on putting in some more, some more track. Well, so, that, would, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. Is there a win on that, though? Sorry? Is there a win? Well, there's supposed the... to be, yeah, yeah. A Richard win? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's more, a, it's more a Don Nardella, actually, <laughs> which, isn't a good, which isn't such a good look. But, no, well, that but might set it back a bit. The, prom- the promise is that the line-out line to Melton from Deer Park will be double-tracked in the next um, few years, and that'll be a good start, and that there'll be some more long passing sec- like loop sections put in further up the line towards Ballarat. Mm. But the trouble is you've got to do these things in relation to the timetable you want to run. Yes. And V-Line seems to have great difficulty um, <laughs> thinking in those two dimensions or three dimensions. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah. um, from what I've seen in the past, you know, it's very hard for them to to actually design those two things together. They think the staff of V-Line need to go on one of those weekend aways where, you know, where they <laughs> have to sort of think outside the box and do exercises. There are some lovely, lovely big um, computer programs they could get from the boys in Switzerland and places like that. Oh, there we be, go. They'd be <laughs> lucky to get too far north of Spencer Street got, Station, I would have thought on that basis. <laughs> <laughs> too many mountains around. That's right. The Swiss know how to run trains, though. <laughs> By God, they know how to run trains. <laughs> okay, tr- pollution trucks and things. Yes, gone. Yeah. yes, trucks. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I think we murmured something about this last week, last last month. Don't know. Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. But I came across some stuff, horrifying things like the age of the Australian truck fleet is uh, fourteen years. <laughs> the uh, age of the truck fleet in places like um, Japan is about five years. And in and in um, Western Europe and the USA, it's about eight years. So apparently, oh. we have the oldest truck fleet in the Western world. Now, of course, what that means is the trucks don't have pollution gear on them. The older oh. trucks have very well. Little. That's average too. There's a lot of new trucks, so therefore, yeah. there'd be a lot of even older that's trucks right. that's around right. the place. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and the older the older trucks, um, they tend not to be used for the long distance runs. The, the the newer trucks will be used on the, the long hauls because of course that's where the newer trucks can save fuel because their their engines are more efficient, mm. and the older trucks come back to the uh, to just uh, pot around the metropolitan areas um, doing delivery runs, and of course the last place you really want the trucks that are spewing out the most um, pollution end up in the cities spewing out the most pollution. Mm. And uh, that's both particulate, very fine particulates, and the the NOx, the fumes that um, make the worst kind of smog. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, we 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 seem to be doing very little about it. It, it doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be very high on the um, agenda mm. here. Mm. Um, and again, we should just iterate for people. I'm sure people are aware, but they all use diesel. And when, when some time ago, even with cars, they were talking mm. about how diesel was better. But we know that diesel is more dangerous because yes. its particulates are so tiny they penetrate the That's lungs right. and they they're quite they well they cause massive disease. Yes, yes. Yeah, so the, the the diesel particulates are very very fine, and they penetrate the most deeply into the lungs, and they're far far worse than. than than anything from petrol fume, petrol, mm. petrol emissions in that regard. Um, um, in Europe, the uh, diesel cars have been encouraged for the last two uh, decades, big time, because they were regarded as more efficient in the sense that they do use less fuel, uh, and also that they were regarded as being actually lower, lower polluting. But they, but nobody had. Had got there, had swung around to actually look at the NOx emissions or the very fine particulate um, emissions, and so in Europe now they're very they're trying to back backtrack as fast as they can, because they're now getting really bad pollution problems in their big cities again. Places mm. like Paris has had to have car-free days and things like that to try and clear yeah. the clear the smog. And this is—they're now pointing at diesel vehicles for, for causing this. 
and the um, European cities, uh, some of them, I think, even including Paris, as banning l- large large diesel vehicles from from the city. Mm. Things like that is starting to happen, and yet we happily go on with our very ancient um, diesel f- fleet. And here in Melbourne, you know, we've got um, all this um, concentrated diesel uh, truck traffic going to and from the um, the docks the docks which just so happen to be right near inner metropolitan, um, inner, inner um, residential areas and the CBD. So yeah. we're, 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 we're really setting ourselves up because, of, because we've got this, this um, expectation that there'll be huge, huge increase in the haulage of freight in and out of the port. Well, the latest figures show that um, we, we, in <laughs> fact... Um, belched out up to 50% more toxic fumes than those in Europe last year. Yeah. According, this is from the National Transport Commission. Yeah. And the gap's widening and the shift away, and they say it's also due to people buying more SUVs and utes and, and, and V8s, sure, V8s, sure. etc. And the bloke from Mercedes even said we'd be lower if Australia had first world fuel. But, in fact, we rate 66 in the world for fuel quality. Mm. Yet, recently, the government has been trying to improve fuel quality. It's still not nowhere near world's best practice. But the refiners say they need at least a decade to adjust and, and et cetera, to bringing in the new fuel, um, whereas it should be happening almost immediately. Well, it should have happened, happened um, probably 15 years ago. Well, it's a very, very real concern. There's also a new research has shown that People who live close to busy roads have a higher risk of getting dementia as well. Mm-hmm. So the more research they do on the impact of these things, the, the, the more we discover about what it can do. And I think, it, I think you could include for that um, also um, um, heart, heart conditions too. Yeah. I think they're, they're also an issue. Yeah, and Of course, absolutely. along with straightforward lung. This is because of pollution? Or mm-hmm. is this mm. Particularly to do with the um, very fine particulates. Oh. Mm. The, the ones that are so fine that there's virtually no um, filtration that can, can mm. deal with them. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, mm. So, so the, that, that, that is interesting. Also, of course, the, um, the large trucks are overrepresented in um, crashes too and the crash statistics. Mm. Mm. Um, however you slice and dice the statistics, big trucks... Are, are very dangerous on the roads, you know, because yeah. of, any sort of an accident between a big truck and another vehicle, um, the big truck's going to win. It is, yeah, <coughs> yeah. Uh, There's been a debate taking place between a number of um, a number of University of NSW, NSW in particular, economists and the trucking industry about the, the economists are saying they should pay a per kilometre rate yep. and meet the real costs of their what yes. they cause. Yes. The trucking industry responds by saying we pay more than anyway. We you know they they claim mm. they overpay, but of course, as the economists say, they no, no one takes into account the costs of accidents, no. etc. Or pollution, yeah, or pollution. So those factors just are taken into control. And of course, there's noise yeah. noise pollution as well. There's a whole lot of different kinds yeah. of yeah. kinds of yeah. pollution. And the, yeah, and the um, the tr- the trucking guys, the argument seems to be that the that the big trucks pay too much. And I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say whether the big big trucks pay too much and the small ones don't pay enough, or or the other way around. But the big, but the trucks are very clear that they hate paying high tolls, even if that gives them a gives them a very high class bit of road to run on in the city, mm. where they otherwise they'd be caught in the congestion. It's it's very interesting that they don't seem to put a high value on avoiding the congested roads that that um, that um, Transurban and um, the government want to build for them. Mm. Can mm. I? Yeah, ask you talking about yeah. congested roads. I just want to ask you a question about the Westgate Tunnel. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some, well, some media reports last week actually that <coughs> I think it was the Herald Sun um, that thousands of motorists would only save about mm. eight to fifteen yes. minutes in the yeah, rush hour. Yeah, it was in the age actually. Yeah, it was on the age, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, in the rush hour morning on trips from Melbourne's yeah. west to the mm-hmm. CBD. Um, and the tunnel is going to be about five point five billion. And just yeah. also the the fact, if you can comment on that, but there's been um, only a thirty day community consultation yes. on public exhibition until early right. July. It's really like it's pushing it's, the whole thing through very yes, quickly. Yes, very yeah. very quickly. Yes, it's it's um, clear the government doesn't really want to have its um, have its project challenged very very heavily by the community. Mm. Yeah, and 
Well, 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 in the, the cynical view, and I think it's the correct view of, of these projects, is that they're supposedly built to facilitate the trucks getting mm. to the, the port. But in fact, the only way to finance them is to also turn them into another commuter slush way to get as many cars as possible to the city and you know make it look attractive enough for the cars to pay whatever the toll mm. will be. And nobody knows what the toll will be, but really the only way you get the finance together is to get a whole lot of cars on the road. And then, of course, the whole thing clags up again, like any other road will, particularly in peak hour near the city. It'll clag up again. And therefore, the, nobody gets the benefit of the... Uh, well, it's just totally illogical. Yeah, why, was it, yeah. why was it done in the first place? I mean, why yeah. has it been... Well, that's, well, it's being done because they think something's, got to, something's got to be done. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got, to be, it's got to be done in the, in the shape of roads because that's the way, that's the, way the, mm-hmm. the, the And Transurban came up with the proposal. That's right. Urban, okay. Transurban yeah, builds, builds yeah. roads. That's all yeah, they that's do. What yes. they do. So, yeah, so, yeah. It's, so it's very hard to get up a, another project, which would say use rail, to get the containers to the ports mm-hmm. from, from you know, outlying mm-hmm. um, sub-centres around, mm-hmm. around the city, which is the obvious thing to do. So mm-hmm. you'd bring the you'd bring the um, the freight into the docks on on you know a big big container train one half every half hour say, mm. uh, which would which would still be hauled by a diesel locomotive, but it'd be um, one diesel locomotive or two hauling hundreds and hundreds of tons, mm. rather than each of these trucks you know carrying two containers spewing out spewing out um, pollution because the trucks are thirty years old. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but yeah. yeah so it's, so it's that, that that's what's happened in every every road that's been built around Melbourne. They've, they've claimed they're being built for the trucks, but they've needed the cars paying their tolls to to finance them. Yeah, and then yeah. the trucks get yeah. caught up in the in the um, in the congestion, and um, nobody's prepared to say to the, say we'll give you the trucks, we'll give you a special lane, but you'll have to pay for it because they know the trucks probably wouldn't pay for it. They no. Wouldn't. Just one a quick one. I know we're running out of time a bit, but I wanted to ask you about the new announcement mm-hmm. on the uh, about ten million towards devising this airport rail plan. Yes, just recently yes. announced. Yes, um, I also note that Skybus has extended quite a few of its mm. areas at Frankston, and, that, and they they don't seem to be all terribly worried about this. They just know that it's mm. going to happen eventually, mm. so mm. they're preparing. Yeah, well, they'll possibly quite prob- probably be able to yep be able to continue in operation if they want to. Um, after after the rail after the rail line goes in, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just raise? I want to finish on this note, John, because it's a classic. We might be more on this next month, but a couple of months ago, we mentioned a, an age rider had talked about how slow trams go and the yep. need to speed them up and get cars off the road and give them priority at intersections. Well, Patrick Carline, who's the uh, a columnist with the Sunday Herald Sun, he had another one: the slow torture that is tram travel. And a friend was charmed by trams. He opens up, and I thought, oh, this is another article saying we need to speed them up. But as you go on, you find. <coughs> That he says, why do trams still run in Melbourne? We threw away black and white TVs when something better came along. The continuing existence of trams seems immune from rightful scrutiny. By every modern measure, they are they are cute but impractical, like gramophones or vintage cars. Trams are the koalas of public transport, sleepy and slow <laughs> off the mark. He wants to get rid of them so that you ease congestion on the road for cars. Isn't that right. wonderful? Okay. Right. Is that a good idea? <laughs> no, it's not a good idea. I think we'd all agree that's not a good idea. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that. There are plenty of, plenty of roads near the city. In peak hour, more people are travelling on the trams than are travelling on the cars. Yes. So, oh, well, so who should be getting the who should be getting the priority then? Strange reaction that. Okay, that's it for the day. Um, John, thank people. Thank Andy. Thank Lynn for doing a great job there. Thanks.